0: It is the 200 level. We are back for our fourth season. want to thank everybody for joining us here, and it has been months since the last podcast we did. I think it was May 22nd, May 28th, Matthew Mayer committed to Illinois basketball, and since then, it's been a quiet summer, but not necessarily in a bad way. I think there is a little bit more continuity with the revenue sports at Illinois, and I think as Illini fans... You got to feel pretty good about the state, certainly of Illinois basketball, but even Illinois football. And that's what we're going to dig into today as we get back to it. Our fourth season, like I told you, if you want to go the kind of way that you go with TV shows, yes, the fourth season of the 200 level. And something that we figured out, other than during COVID, when I needed a podcast to just do something the summer of 2020, We're really going to take summers off, barring any huge breaking news. We're going to do this from, let's say, mid-August until the end of April, and then we just kind of wait for big things to happen. Fortunately, with Illinois sports, there's been plenty to talk about, and more and more as time goes on, positive things to talk about. And I'm starting to notice, and I don't know if you guys are in the same boat as I am, that with that little chill in the air, now that we're away from that heat wave that we had last weekend, which by the way... We had a gig in the humidity last Saturday, and it was the hottest gig I've ever played. And I played some hot ones. So when I woke up, I think it was Monday morning or Tuesday morning, and finally you get that like 58, 59 degree chill in the air. I so badly wanted to be in Lot 31 with the dew-covered grass early in the morning, starting to get things set up for a full-day tailgate. And we are less than two weeks away from doing just that. That's the first thing I'm excited about. Not not even the the on-the-field product, but really getting back into the tailgating thing, which for anyone that followed me back at 93.5 and all the way through the 200 level, whether it be concerts or sporting events, the tailgate, you can always be guaranteed to have a good time. I cannot say the same thing for whatever will happen inside of Memorial Stadium or State Farm Center, though at least with the latter, more and uh, more often good things have been happening for Illinois basketball. But I do think Hope Springs eternal for what's going to happen on the field this year. I think as far as first years go, for coaches that I've seen as an Illini football fan, it is hard to beat what Bielema did, especially as it relates to previous Illinois coaches. Now, that is a low bar, the skinniest kid at fat camp analogy, which maybe is not one I should use because Brett Bielema is a big guy. Okay, that goes without saying. But when you look at what he did that first season, and even after, let's say, the UTSA game, when a friend and I walked out of that stadium thinking, here we go again, right, we still suck was essentially the thought of all the 35,000 people or less that were leaving the stadium that night. We still suck. The Lovey Smith era is going to leave a long-lasting stink on this program. And as the season went on, that wasn't necessarily the case. Now, what you did see, let's say the Rutgers game as an example, you saw that they were still capable of really... Just not being a good football team. I think the most egregious example actually was the Wisconsin game at home, which Wisconsin at that point was struggling and you felt like maybe you can compete in this game and they just absolutely worked you. Was it 28 to nothing, but the score was not nearly as indicative as how much of a a blowout that really was. But think about this for last season. You get a big one at home against Nebraska to start the year and a big one at home against Northwestern to end the year. I would say all things considered that that way is uh, to book in the season like that is both good to start off with some momentum, but also leave a good taste in your mouth as you get into the off season and hopefully parlay that into some recruiting successes. I know that Bielema is not lighting the world on fire with recruiting, but I have a little more faith that he kind of knows what he's doing and the kinds of players he's looking for. And as I look at this roster and, and kind of look at the two deep by position groups, I think to myself for as much as I was worried about this season with departures and lack of depth from the Lovey Smith era, you're actually a little bit more stable than I thought. So maybe bookending the season with the big win against Nebraska at the start and then Northwestern at the end of it, that couldn't have hurt, certainly. But what came in between was a mix of good and bad, but mostly promising. And I think the games I really look at, of course, Penn State, that was – A total anomaly, a nine-overtime game, one of the most fun, ridiculous college football games I've ever seen, mostly because you ended up on the winning side of it. If Illinois had lost in eight overtimes, would we be feeling the same way? Of course not. But you got the win, and it felt great. And actually, that still feels pretty good in hindsight. That will be on Big Ten Network as one of those novelty replays every so often, as it should be the Minnesota game was the one where I felt like this thing is actually trending in the right direction. And I'll take it one step further and say that the game at Iowa was equally as encouraging considering Iowa was a better opponent and you gave yourselves a chance to win. Now, why did you not win the Iowa game? Why did you not win the Rutgers game? Why were there other games that you should have won that you didn't? And if we really want to keep it simple, and I think we can, the Tony Peterson era was one year for a reason. There is a Reason actually a multitude of reasons, why Brett Bielma decided to pull the plug that quickly. I think that says a lot. Um, And yes, it is a dog-eat-dog profession and uh, cruel and cold and calculating. That's what you have to be as a head coach. But I think anyone, from a casual fan to someone that watched every single down last year, they knew that the offense was the issue. So that was hopefully remedied, and I'm excited to see what Barry Lunny Jr. does coming in from UTSA. Yes, Tony Peterson and not to... Throw stones at someone that is no longer here. But the Brandon Peters era, very much like the West Lunt era, left you wanting. No, Brandon Peters was not the sole reason that you lost games. But this is a sport where you have one position that's more important than any other. And actually, it's the most important position in any competitive sport, quarterback. And Brandon Peters, while he had the measurables, he did not have the intangibles. And I'm excited to see what this team will look like with Tommy DeVito. I don't know much about Tommy DeVito. I do know that the one season he was healthy at Syracuse was better than any season that Brandon Peters had. And from you know, the early reports out of camp, whether it be what I'm hearing from the Alani Enquirer guys, reading their stuff, listening to their podcast, the message boards, you know, all, all these things you're kind of picking up little bits and pieces. It does seem like Tommy DeVito has some intangible qualities that you've been lacking at that position. So, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to focus on the second season of the Brett Bielema era. And at the end of it, I will do a game that Lontae and I popularized, if you want to say that, back in 2011 Dare to Dream. Now, in this edition of Dare to Dream, I will be fairly realistic. I'm not going to make any bold proclamations, at least as I sit here at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, I don't think there will be any bold proclamations. But. I do think there are reasonable expectations that you can put on this team, given the talent level, given the coaching staff, and I think being pleasantly surprised is actually on the table. I really do think that we can get out of the second season and feel pretty darn good about Illinois football. As an Illini football fan, I don't say that very often. Fool me once. Fool me twice. Actually, in my lifetime, fool me seven, eight, nine times. But I feel like I'm older and wiser. I feel like I'm not going to go down that fanboy carp rabbit hole of years past, which I hope that the Twitter moniker is a little bit tongue in cheek, that I'm not complete fanboy and I can actually be objective and rational and realistic about what this team is or what they should be. But yeah, I actually feel better about the state of Illinois football than I have in a long time. That being said, I will not make any eight or nine one predictions. So rest assured, I'm not going to go that crazy, but stay tuned if you want to hear this very modest Dare to Dream for The 2022 season. That and much more. We're going to stick to football today as we get back to it here in the 200 level. Now, before we get too far into it, I got to thank our sponsors. Of course, DP Doe, they've been with us from the start. They've been with me actually since the Tane J and Tane Carp days at 93.5. They just got done with their 15th year in operation on the University of Illinois campus going into their 16th. And don't let it fool you that, okay, there are campus location. students are coming back. When am I going to get DP dough? Well, one, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, right? So you can be in your residence and let them bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. Or as you go to these Illinois football games, why not take the walk up First Street? I've done this before. Take the walk up First Street— you got a calzone waiting for you. Hit up the bars after that, after you get some sustenance in your belly, right? That sounds like a pretty good time after Illinois beats Wyoming, right? See, I already gave it my prediction for that game. DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Again, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. All right, also got to thank State Farm agent Brian Hansen. He is my guy. Brian is my guy.com, And I cannot say enough about him as an insurance agent, and, but also a person. And that's kind of what you want. In matters of insurance, you want to trust the individual that's working for you. And Brian has been great with my wife and I. Um, Auto, homeowners, they take care of us at State Farm. You know you're going to get low prices, but it's the service that really sets Brian apart from the competition. So go online to brianismyguy.com. That's State Farm agent Brian Hanson. Rector Construction. Okay, so these guys, they do exterior home projects. So go to rectorconstruction.com today and get a free estimate. Isaac Ambrose, of course, he worked there. He has a new gig now, but he's still good friends with a lot of the Rector Construction guys. We appreciate their support. They've been with the podcast coming up on two years now. That is rectorconstruction.com for a free estimate, a free quote on your next home exterior project, rectorconstruction.com. Now, we have a new sponsor, Dogtown Heating and Air. Now, part of the reason I love these guys is they are based in Paxton which is where my dad is from, and which is also the location of just hamburgers, the best hamburger joint in the state of Illinois, maybe the United States of America. But uh, Dogtown Heating and Air, and Cody, I I apologize. I am going to read the copy the first time as I gradually kind of get used to um, all the great things that these guys have to offer. Now, with football comes fall weather, as you know. So call your friends at Dogtown Heating and Air and Plumbing to get a jump start on your furnace maintenance for the upcoming winter. Kara and I are going to do that. Cause our furnace is kind of old. Now they're also currently running deals on indoor air quality products to help with seasonal allergies. I could use help with that as well as up to $250 off a water heater through the month of September. If you've seen prices on those things, $250 off, that's pretty good. Try out their new hydro jetting to unclog and clean out those tough and slow drains in your home. Mention you heard this ad on the 200 level. Okay. Mention it. And you'll get an additional 6% off. Why 6%? Because that's how many wins they think Illinois is going to get this year to get Bolt eligible. Dogtown Heating and Air Plumbing. Heating, Air, and Plumbing, excuse me, guys, your home's best friend. So, Dogtown, thank you guys for joining up. And uh, these guys serve everywhere. Champaign, Urbana, St. Joe, Muhammad. Just because they're based in Paxton doesn't mean they can't serve your residents. So give them a call today. All right. Last and not least, I want to thank Fourth and Kirby. They are not a sponsor anymore because, unfortunately, they are shutting down their online marketplace these guys have been in operation i think for about five years and they were with us from the start of the 200 level and most of my alana apparel now i'm a nike guy but most of my alana apparel now is fourth and Kirby stuff for good reason you know it was high quality t-shirts at a good price with great vintage designs so when i'm in an illinois football tailgate or at the games basketball games excuse me more often than not, I'm wearing 4th and Kirby swag, and I'm glad that I stocked up as much as I did. I got a few more things, including a Juice Williams t-shirt that I plan to wear at all the home football games this year as we tailgate. So here's what you can do. I know they are shutting their doors, but if you go to 4thandkirby.com, they're just getting rid of their inventory. So last time I checked, it's 20% off everything. Um, but I really want to thank them for, of course, being partners with the 200 level, but just as an Illini fan and someone that likes cool Alani swag, um, these guys were the best in the business, and they will be sorely missed. That is a market that, yeah, you got the name, image, likeness stuff, so you can get personalized jerseys. That's great. I mean, I plan on getting Ty Rogers jersey when I can. But when it comes to uh, cool vintage logos, um, nothing will replace what they did. So we're going to miss them, and they will, uh, they will – live long beyond closing their doors because in the tailgate lots and state farm center you're going to see plenty of fourth and kirby shirts hoodies crew neck sweatshirts so wanted to get that out there we're going to miss them and appreciate all their support from day one here on the 200 level okay second year of brett bielema and if you don't mind i'm going to get a little quick thing coffee oh wait yeah i need to talk about the new things of the podcast here so Unlike past years, when I'm doing this solo pod, I did a couple Twitch streams when it was just a solo pod last year. And that's good because I can have the chat window open, and I plan on doing that as we go forward. For this first podcast, though, I'm just doing the podcast audio, as usual, and then YouTube. So both of those are releasing at the same time on Monday, August 15th. Now, this YouTube channel subscribe to it. We've already gotten quite a few in the first few days of putting this up there and uh, the YouTube channel will have every podcast going forward. So it will stay up there in perpetuity. thing about Twitch is that they only stay up for I think 7 to 10 days and then they take them off. So every 200 level going forward will have a video component. If YouTube is your thing and that's how you listen to podcasts, interviews, radio shows, whatever it may be, we're up there now. So find us and one Thing with that, if I misspeak, if I stumble over my words, or if I lose a train of thought, there is no hitting the pause button now. So I am losing that safety blanket. And that also means that occasionally you'll have to hear me take a quick drink of coffee or water. So mm. that's good stuff. Okay. Isn't that just fascinating podcasting right there? Second year, Brett Bielema. Let's go back real quick to the second years of previous alumni coaches. Lovey Smith, second year, coming off of a 3-9 and campaign. It actually got worse before it got better, 2-10. and And as bad as the first year was with Lovey Smith, the second one was just utterly depressing. If I recall, there was a game against Rutgers at home, and it felt like that was one that you had to get, and of course they didn't get it. And it was just this reminder that not only are you bad, you are absolute bottom barrel of the Big Ten bad. That was the second year of Lovie Smith. There wasn't a lot of hope. On the horizon. Can't say second year for Bill Cubitt. That was a one-year deal. So we'll skip that. But second year of Tim Beckman. Was oddly enough. Kind of an entertaining four and eight year. Yes there were terrible games. It was the Beckman era after all. But as Harry Black would tell you. Tim Beckman got better each and every year. And that is a fact. Two, four, and six wins. In that second year with Tim Beckman. As bad as the low points were. You also had a somewhat competitive game. Against Washington up in Chicago at Soldier Field. I was there for that. That was a lot of fun, actually, now that I think about it, despite ultimately losing by 10, 11 points, I think. Now, of course, that was outdone in Tim Beckman's third year when they lost at Washington, and he said, "What we were 17 plays away from maybe winning that game. But the second year, Beckman also included a really close call at Penn State that I think went to overtime. I was broadcasting a high school football game with Justin Taylor on ESPN 93.5. It was a playoff game at Unity. And following the score on my phone, and I thought, oh my God, Illinois could win this game. think that would have gotten them to four wins at that point. And then I guess a bowl game might have still been on the horizon, though a long shot, right? So there were moments in that second year with Tim Beckman of excitement, but of course a lot of low points and games that you just got the doors blown off of you. So nothing too impressive. Ron Zook, the best two-win season I will ever see. As an Illinois fan, two wins, two and nine or two and ten, culminating with a very close loss at home to Ohio State late in that season. This is 2006. That was a harbinger of things to come because the next year you go nine and three, make the Rose Bowl, and beat Ohio State at their place. So you started to see as that season wore on, the team didn't get worse. They got better. There were a few frustrations, of course. There was a loss at home to Indiana, one of the first times I think, that Ron Zook inexplicably went for two points when there was no need to go for two points, but that's neither here nor there. Ohio with Frank Solich, who had just come off of his Nebraska job. He'd gotten fired a year or two before. Frank Solich in Ohio comes in. They beat Illinois at Memorial Stadium. So, yeah, there were low points, but overall that was a sign of improvement uh, with that program, and we saw good things happen in year three. So the best two-win season I've ever seen was the second year of Ron Zook. Second year of Ron Turner, this is early on in my fandom. I think they were 3-9, and nine, right? They got that win at home against Middle Tennessee State, and I think the fans rushed the field. Was not going to games yet in 1998. It actually took the 99 season, his third season, to get me really interested in my dad and I to get season tickets, which we've had since 2000. That's all I can remember in my lifetime. Of course, Lou Tepper probably had an underwhelming second year. He had an underwhelming tenure, considering the talent that he inherited John Makovic Mike White Mike White etc etc all this to say second years don't tend to go so well for Illinois football coaches but this is where the bar is raised a little bit more because the first year for all those coaches that I just named were in many cases worse than the second year the first year for Brett Bielema in contrast to that was encouraging and I think that the Northwestern blowout at the end of the season, as bad as Northwestern was, that was a sign that, wait, we actually have a competent staff that knows how to maximize the talent on the field. That is something that, as an Alani fan, I have not felt for many, many years. And actually, if, I, if I'm really being honest, in my entire lifetime, I've never had this much confidence in a coaching staff. With Ron Turner, early on, I think we all felt like, well, maybe we got this sort of um, journeyman co- uh, coordinator that became a really good head coach at the college football level, but we got the rug pulled out from us in 2000 with the 5-1 season, and also in 2002 with another 5-1 season. He could never stack consecutive winning seasons, and that tells you there was something amiss with the coaching staff. There was not enough consistency there. I feel like there is with this coaching staff. The fact that you retained Ryan Walters, the fact that you were able to go out and get a Barry Lunney Jr. to replace uh, Tony Peterson, and also the fact that Brett Bielema, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, had the balls to get rid of his hand-picked offensive coordinator a year in. Now, Brett Bielema should still be held accountable for hiring Tony Peterson in the first place. I mean, I think so at least. Uh, Let's see here. Okay, good. Sorry, I'm still working with technology here. I got uh, all these different studio things working, and that was the temporary pause there. So going into the second year, I do feel fairly confident that this thing is heading upwards, maybe not at a trajectory that is you know, exponential or something that you would be really, really pumped about, but slow and steady, right? Slow and steady. And if you started at five and seven with a team that was very flawed, especially in the offensive end, six and six is not outside the realm of possibility. Now, let's start with some of the factors on the field in terms of position groups that make me feel fairly optimistic heading into this season. First and foremost, quarterback. Now, not to say addition by subtraction. But Brandon Peters left everybody wanting. That didn't work. It maybe should have worked, but I can't really fault the guy considering he had Lovey Smith and Rod Smith for a little bit of it, and then he had one year with Brett Bielema and Tony Peterson, And, and listen, Tony Peterson didn't do Brandon Peters any favors last year either. But Brandon Peters was someone that for every tantalizing play he would make, there would be three or four missed throws where you'd think, is this guy some sort of knucklehead? He's not. He's a pretty smart guy, but for whatever you need on the football field to be a winner, for lack of a better term, he didn't have it. Not saying Tommy DeVito does, but I can't imagine he's going to make you want to pull your hair out as much as Brandon Peters did. And I don't know about you, but I got really tired of the Brandon Peters thing. I really did. The same with the West Lunt era. It's not their fault so much as just... uh, an overall vibe that you get. Like, I'm just not having fun watching this guy. And I wasn't having fun watching Brandon Peters. Everything coming out of camp so far seems to indicate that Tommy DeVito is actually kind of a fun guy to watch, that the players really enjoy playing for this quarterback. And there is an intangible quality that you need where you want the offensive line to protect their guy. You want the running backs and the wide receivers and even the guys in the defensive end to think we can rally around this guy. If Tommy DeVito has just a little bit of that, you immediately upgrade it at the quarterback position. Because when it comes to the measurable things and what he can do in terms of throwing, we know for the healthy year that he had at Syracuse, the guy's got talent. If he stays healthy, he should be an upgrade from Brandon Peters. Keyword, should. But I feel pretty high on that and that's also kind of an indictment of what Brandon Peters was okay that's one reason to be optimistic another reason to be very optimistic is you have one of the best running back stables in the conference that is not hyperbole Chase Brown if you were on a Michigan or Ohio State would be getting national recognition the kid is an absolute stud there were games last year where he was averaging eight to nine yards per carry then you got Josh McRae as the backup and we only saw glimpses of that last year a few really good games especially as we got into what late October, early November is when McCray turned it on. And then you feel good about a Reggie Love as a third back, and you can go down the list and you have some good talent there. Plus you have the b factor, which has always produced productive running backs. So you feel good about better. I should say about the quarterback. You feel great about the running backs. Wide receiver, of course, is the question mark. Now I love Isaiah Williams. It sounds as if he's also going to return kicks and punts. And I say, why not get the, the ball to the playmaker including on returns and a return touchdown could be the difference between a 5 and a 6-1 season depending on the game wide receiver you need a Casey Washington to be sure handed you maybe need a, a Patrick Bryant to step up Brian Hightower I know is a name that has kind of intrigued Atlanta fans and the coaching staff so maybe you get a surprise breakout candidate tight end you got Luke Ford and there was one guy was it Tip Runyon? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm screwing up the name here. All I know is that Jeremy Warner is especially high on this kid from South Dakota, and I will look up the name for the next podcast, and my apologies for that, who was a walk-on but got a scholarship. He's really built up his body. He's a good blocker, pretty sure-handed, and could be the next sort of rags-to-riches story, and you see that on occasion in college football. There are really feel-good stories about these kids that got to bust their butt, and then they get their opportunity, and they really shine. I could see Luke Ford having a big season. I, I hope that we finally, after all these years of Illini fandom, all these talented tight ends that have come and gone, Michael Ui Chef <laughs> Cumberland. I mean, th- those are just a couple from the Zook era, but there were more. And it always felt like they were underutilized. And in this football landscape where you see absolute stud tight ends, why can't we have ours? And maybe we have a little bit of a breakout season in terms of production from a Luke Ford this year. So I feel okay about tight ends. Overall, the offense, if you were to say, you know, your competence level between a one and a 10, I'm going to put about a six and a half. And you can round that up to seven if you want to. They're not going to be spectacular. I think we know that. I think they can be serviceable, though. And I think when you have a good running back, or a good running back, a great running back, like Chase Brown, they can do everything. And a workhorse behind him, like a Josh McRae that can get you those three, four yards when you need to on third and shorts. Remember when Tony Peterson, for whatever reason, refused to run Chase Brown or um, McCray on third and shorts last year? There was the Rutgers game at home. There were these third and twos, and it was Jakari Norwood who was fine, but Peterson was not giving the ball to his studs to get the first. Ugh, I'm not going to go there. He's gone. Okay. Six and a half is my confidence level for the offense. I can work with that. Last year, the confidence level was like at a three. Why is my confidence level that much higher this year? Barry Lenny Jr., which I liked what I saw with UTSA. I know small sample size, but this is a pretty highly regarded guy in college football. And the fact that you have a quarterback that is intriguing. Brandon Peters never really intrigued me after I saw the first season. I know you went to a bowl game, but I remember just kind of lambasting Bob Osmussen, for his article, well, maybe Brandon Peters could be a Heisman Trophy winner. No, no, he's not. It was never going to be, but uh, he never never intrigued me that much. Okay, so maybe Tommy DeVito, maybe we get lucky, you know. This is one thing, too, that I'll get out of there. An element of luck is always a play here. Last year, that Illinois team, if you replayed that season 10 times, they probably end up 5-7, and seven, but in a few different ways. But the luck factor could have pushed you to 6, and the luck factor could have pushed you back to about 4 wins too. Maybe not less than that, because I think the team was better than, let's say, a 3-9. So luck will play a role, and of course injuries are a huge part of that, but also just certain bounces that go your way in games. And if this team can get a little bit of luck, I don't think 6-6 six and six is outside the realm At all, And in fact, I think with a little bit of luck, they might even be able to inch their way just past that. I'm kind of teasing the Dare to Dream segment. So confidence at a six and a half out of 10 for the offense. That's reasonable, right? Offensive line, I didn't mention them. I mean, you do have Palchewski back. You had Julian Pearl. So those are two returnees that you feel great about. You got some transfers that you feel can really solidify a line that we were all worried about. The key, of course, is if you get injured on the line. There's a major lack of depth, and that's always the concern. So six and a half for offense. What about defense? Well, with Ryan Walters there, immediately my confidence is higher. You feel great about your rushing ends in Newton um, and Randolph, who last year, especially in November, were just absolutely unconscious. And I know Calvin Avery is someone that we've kind of waited on at nose tackle, but maybe he has, maybe if not a breakout year, just a solid, consistent year. That's really all that you need from him. Linebacking core, I really think that Tariq Barnes is a pretty solid guy. I wish Tolson were back for one more year, and I know he decided he wanted to try the pro ranks. So we're going to miss that because he was as sure of a tackler as he could get. But Tariq Barnes has a bit of explosive playmaking ability. C.J. Hart, who did so much in that Nebraska game, if he can stay healthy, you feel pretty good about those two. Um, Randolph, which I'm sorry, not Randolph, but Coleman. And I know with this three-four defense, not technically a linebacker, you know, but Seth Coleman is of course a factor that was really starting to come on. It felt like last year too, but the strength of that defense is the defensive backs, and that's without Kirby Joseph. We saw the crazy year that Kirby Joseph had from not even being in the two deep. I think when uh, when practice started last August, and then by the end of it, an NFL draft pick. He's with the Detroit Lions. Was it the second or third round that he got picked? That is a testament to Ryan Walters. It's a testament to Brett Bielema. Um, That defensive back group is still really good. And Devin Witherspoon stands out at cornerback. And Sidney Brown at safety, a hard-hitting safety, a playmaking safety. They're kind of the leaders of the defense. And what I like about this is I think two previous good Alani football teams, which in my life I can probably count on one hand, and that's not hyperbole. And often the common denominator is strong defensive backfields. Go back to the Sugar Bowl year. One of my favorite seasons. Actually, if I think about it, as much as I love the Rose Bowl season because I was at the University of Illinois, the Sugar Bowl year I like a little bit more. That team was just so easy to root for. Bunch of seniors. Kurt Kittner as a senior quarterback. 10-1 and one in the regular season. Outright Big Ten champions. And what was your defensive backfield? I'll never forget. I'll always remember these four guys. It was Eugene Wilson and Christian Morton at court, cornerback, and your safeties, Bobby Jackson, Muhammad Abdullah. That was a great defensive backfield, and that really kept everything in front of them for a defense that was bend, not break, under Mike Cassidy that year. They got a lot of turnovers, to their credit, uh, but I think in terms of yards given up, they were not one of the better teams with that. Maybe scoring defense, they gave up about 21 points a game. They were not like the 2006 Chicago Bears, but that defensive backfield often made plays that helped you win games, including was that the Eugene Wilson interception at the end of the Penn State game. that wrapped that thing up. So that was the 2001 backfield. The 2007 backfield included, let's see here, Vontae Davis, DeRay Hicks, Justin Harrison, and Kevin Mitchell. I love when teams have good defensive backfields. There's something so exciting about watching corners and that there's you know when they're just doing man-to-man coverage that's especially exciting but there's something even more exciting about watching safeties sort of prowl and we saw that last year in spades with Kirby Joseph and the crazy playmaking ability that he had but Sidney Brown has that as well and also as a run defense safety the way that he can get in the box and make tackles uh, I feel great about the defensive backfield I'm pretty sure that Ryan Walters and Brett Bielema do too. So that is probably the strongest position group on the entire team. And that's okay. I mean, that that actually um, is something that will, like I said, help you keep things in front of you. And that's what Ryan Walters' defense did so well last year. They got some turnovers. They did. Not like Lovey Smith in 2019. But what Harry Black would always used to talk about on this podcast and back at 93.5 was he would rather have a defense that got a few turnovers, not as many as Lovey but really just gave up the three to four yards per play. Now, last year's defense gave up about five yards per play, but in this college football era, that's pretty solid. And only about 21 points a game, that's that's good. My confidence level in the defense is at a 7.5. It's not higher because of a lack of depth, but it's because of the coordinator. It's because you have enough returning guys and as we saw last year with the Kirby Joseph, maybe there's another guy or two that's in waiting, you know, that when they get their opportunity this year, they're going to take full advantage. So I feel pretty strongly, I'm going to say 7.5 for the defense, 6.5 for the offense. Specialist, you do have a new punter and a kicker. You got another Australian punter, Hugh Robertson, I think, 29 years old. And then you have a kicker in Caleb Griffin that's been with the program for a while. Let's just call it a seven, you know, unproven commodities compared to McCourt, even though McCourt at times struggled last year, more than years previous, I felt like. It's hard to replace Blake Hayes, but listen, there are teams that have won six games a year, and I keep saying the six-win thing, that's the benchmark kind of, teams that have won that many games in a year with worse specialists than what this Illinois team has. It could be the difference, no doubt, in a game, but I'm not going to worry about that until it actually happens, because it's one of those givens in football. Injuries could derail a season. Yeah, that's a given. So I don't want to talk about that too much, because until an injury happens, well, what can you do? Specialist, until a game is on a line with a kicker, you know, until that happens, I'm not really going to belabor the point, so... Let's call that a 7 out of 10 confidence level for the specialist because you got an old wily punter from Australia. We're used to that. And then you have a kicker that's been with the program for a while. So, oh, and Isaiah Williams returning kicks and punts, I'm, I'm excited for that. It's been a long time. Probably the Angela Bentley was the last really good returner that you had. And then you go back even further than that to really a it's been a while. And I would love to see some explosive returns because I think it is important to give your offense a short field. And we didn't get a lot of that last year because as good as the defense was, often you were just fair catching punts. I want to see more returns, and I think that can help this team out. All right, so that's where I'm at with the position groups. That's where I'm at a confidence level for the offense, 6.5 out of 10. Defense, 7.5 out of 10. Specialist, 7 out of 10. Notice the trend. You combine those together, and I'm not a math whiz, but that's basically an overall confidence level of 7 out of 10 for this team. That is not to say that I think that they are going to be great or even very good, but I do think there's enough coming back and that you have enough continuity of the coaching staff that I have a feeling that they certainly won't slip to anything worse than what we saw last year. Okay, so if that feels like I'm moving the bar a little bit, I I apologize. Now let's get into how many wins I think this could equate to for this second year of the Brett Bielema experience. The Brett Beamling experience, how about that? A little bit of coffee here. All right. What I did was I went online to Athlon Sports, and they do a football preview every year. Now, Phil Steele was sort of the guru of college football, and I did not get his publication this year, so I've been, in all honesty, kind of freeloading off of the Athlon previews. Now, let's start with Illinois. Out of 131 teams, they ranked every single one of them not, I was about to say D one. It's not D one anymore. The FBS, the Football Bowl Subdivision. Illinois at 69. <clears throat> the fighting Illini I just missed a bowl in Coach Brett Bielma's first season in Champaign, but there was considerable progress in last year's five and seven record. Illinois knocked off Nebraska, Penn State, and Minnesota, while also losing four games by one score. That's pretty impressive. Getting over the hump in 22 requires more out of an offense that averaged only 20.2 points a game and ranked last in the Big Ten in passing. Bielema made a change of coordinator, hiring Barry Lunny Jr. from UTSA to run an attack featuring balance between the run and the pass and more tempo. Syracuse transfer Tommy DeVito is expected to win the starting nod at quarterback over Arter Sitkowski. Arter, excuse me. And the New Jersey native will be looking to finish his career on a high note after an up-and-down stint with the Orange. The overall play from the QB room and how fast the offensive line can re- be rebuilt, three new starters, could decide whether or not this team gets to six or more wins. Notice the trend. Six wins, six wins. The ground game, led by Chase Brown and Josh McRae, is the strength of the offense. Receiver Isaiah Williams is an underrated weapon on the outside. After allowing 34.9 points a game in twenty, in 2020, excuse me, Illinois showed marked improvement on defense last year. Coordinator Ryan Walters guided this group to hold opponents to 21.9 points a game and 5.24 yards per play. Safety Kirby Joseph and edge rushers Isaiah Gay and Owen Carney will be missed. However, six returning starters along with linebacker Calvin Hart Jr. returning from injury provide a good foundation for 22. That is the Athlon sports capsule for the 2022 Fighting Illini. I think that's pretty fair. Fairly spot on with what this team has, and they are not giving them any outlandish expectations. If you say that Illinois is the 69th best team in college football this year, how many wins can that get you? Let's talk about that. I went down the entire list on Athlon, beginning with Wyoming, to see where these teams ranked according to Athlon. Of course, this is not a perfect science, but this gives you a ballpark. Wyoming came in at 97th, Indiana, after a two-win season, comes in at 83. Virginia, after losing basically all of their defensive players, comes in at 63. Wisconsin, 19, seems about right. Iowa at 32. Minnesota, 38. Nebraska, 53. Michigan State, 14. Hmm. Purdue, 31. That's pretty impressive. Michigan at 6, and Northwestern at 82. Here's how I'm breaking down the season. Now, now Chattanooga was not in there. Are they FCS? I forget, but the game would still count all the same to your win-loss record. I have four groups that I came up with. Must win games, should win games, swing games, and eh, probably not going to happen. Let's begin with three games that are probably not going to happen if we're being honest with ourselves. Wisconsin, and that is at Wisconsin this year. Michigan State that is at home and Michigan now out of those three I would say that Michigan State is the one opportunity for an upset I do not fully buy Mel Tucker especially at 10 million a year or whatever it may be but I also am not counting on that to be a win because I think the talent level for them is still significantly better than you it does come later in the season though so out of the three games that I would say not gonna happen Michigan State would be the one that I say maybe there's a chance maybe I got five swing games, five. Virginia, they come in at 63rd on the Athlon Preview. Iowa, they come in at 32nd. Remember, you're 69th. Minnesota comes in at 38, Nebraska at 53, Purdue at 31. Here's the good news. In the so-called swing games, four of the five are at home. The one that's on the road, Nebraska. And they are the weakest of the bunch, and I, I don't trust anything with Nebraska. But the problem with that game and why I actually don't feel good about it this year, can lightning strike three, four times in a row? What Has Scott for us beat Illinois? I have to rack my head here. You beat them at home last year. The year before that, Lovey Smith's last year, you went and smoked them. And in 2019... Uh, oh, 2019 was when you gave up 700 yards to Nebraska. That was it. Scott Frost does have a win against Illinois. How about that? Oddly enough, that's the swing game I feel worst about. Virginia, Iowa, Minnesota, and Purdue, all home games. Out of those, oddly enough, call me crazy, I feel worse about Purdue. I know they're losing David Bell. I feel like maybe Brom has finally figured some things out. I actually feel pretty good about Virginia. And I think you split I one Minnesota. If you can get two of the swing games, you got a shot for six wins. If you can get three of those five games, you're gonna get six. Here's why. I have two should win games. Indiana at Indiana, second game of the year, but you will already have a game under your belt. It will be there first. It's a Friday night, seven PM game in Bloomington. I think you'd be at Indiana. I think he beat Northwestern at the end of the year. Now, I know that as Alani fans, we are trained to be worried about that rivalry game, but fear not. I I think that Northwestern still stinks. And we finally have a coach that realizes how to beat Pat Fitzgerald is not rocket science. I don't know why it was so hard for Lovie Smith, and it was so hard for Tim Beckman. Well, actually, Tim Beckman did get one win against Northwestern. I don't know why it's been so difficult for this program to do that, but I think Brett Bielema actually knows that, hey, it doesn't take a genius to beat Pat freaking Fitzgerald. So, I think you get the Indiana-Northwestern wins. And here are the absolute must-wins, 100%. Put them in your back pocket, and if not, we got major issues. Wyoming and Chattanooga that's not even in this ranking. Okay. If I give you the two wins in your pocket with Wyoming and Chattanooga, and I give you the two wins with Indiana-Northwestern, that gives you four. I know it's not always as easy as this, so I get it. But this is where the swing game, the five swing games that I marked down, are really the tail of the season. Virginia at home, the third game of the year. Iowa, the fifth game of the year in early October. Minnesota, which is the week after that in October. At Nebraska, which comes right after Minnesota. And then Purdue, which is the week after the Michigan State game. Let's just go from game one to game 12. You beat Wyoming, 1-0. You beat Indiana, 2-0. I think you beat Virginia. I do. I I look at last year's game, and I don't throw it out the window completely, but Illinois had still not figured things out defensively. If they played that game again in late October, early November, I don't know if Illinois beats that Virginia team, but I think it's closer. Virginia's defense is probably going to be absolutely terrible in fact this is from the write-up on Athlon Uh, let's see yes you return the quarterback you return all the wide receivers um, but they do have to replace an entire offensive line that's not easy to do and then on the other side of the ball defense Virginia struggled to generate pressure they allowed too many big plays, and they surrendered 34 points a contest, 6.8 yards per play in ACC matchups. This unit also ranked last in the conference versus the run. Well, guess what Illinois is great at, running the ball. It was early in the year last year. Um, <laughs> it's the Brandon Peters, Tony Peterson effect. We're, we're done with that. We're exercising the demons. I think you start 3-0. How about that? Wisconsin, okay, you're 3-1, and, one. and uh, I, I just hope for a competitive game, sort of like the at Iowa game last year. Wisconsin, despite the upset back in 2019, that is border, bordering on just comedy when we play them, and not in a good way for Illini fans. It's, it's not fun. Maybe Brett Bielma can exact a little bit of revenge for the embarrassment that was last year's Wisconsin loss, but th- th- that's probably not going to happen, and you know what? That's okay. You get a major opportunity the following week at home against Iowa. <sighs> I'm going to get a little bit weird here. The Iowa-Minnesota 1-2 punch in early October. I think you beat Iowa, and I think you lose to Minnesota. In essence, I think you split those games. You get one of them, and I think the law of averages tells me that we are bound to beat Iowa sometime. This isn't because I think that Minnesota is actually better than Iowa. I don't. Just college football's weird. Last season for Illinois was weird. We beat Iowa but lose to Minnesota. We you know, just when you start to feel really good and you're four and one after beating Iowa, and then you're reminded that you were not great. You're better, but you were not great and you lose to Minnesota. Four and two. I'm still feeling pretty good about this. But then Nebraska. Hmm. I told you earlier I don't feel great about this game. I'm gonna say four and three. That Scott Frost, desperate And let's say he's probably middling a 3-3 and record or something at this point. I don't think he's a good coach. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad that they kept him for an extra year. I don't think it's going to work out long term, and that's a pretty easy prediction to make. Nonetheless, there are worse coaches out there, and there are worse offenses especially. I just feel like that could be a weird game that gets away from you a little bit. And all of a sudden, we're freaking out a little bit. We're 4-3 and with Michigan State coming to town. Is that right? Four and three. Oh, wait. I missed Chattanooga, guys. I'm sorry. Yes, you beat Chattanooga. We're five and three after a loss at Nebraska. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? Five and three with Michigan State coming to town, even after a loss against Nebraska. I said earlier, excuse me, and I believe this, that Michigan State is your best upset opportunity. Not just because it's a home game, but because, one... The last two times he played Michigan State, you beat him, and Lovie Smith was somehow able to do that. And two, I don't trust Mel Tucker beyond, you know, being a solid coach, but not a ten million dollar a year sure thing. I think they will take a step back just by default this year, and maybe be like a seven and five team. But nonetheless, I'm going to say that's a loss. You're at five and four with Purdue coming to town, and you get the win, six and four. I don't feel great about that prediction. But I'm going to go with it anyways. Because last year, you should have beat Purdue at Purdue. David Bell wasn't playing for them then. He's not going to play for them now. Illinois' defense started to come around at that point in the season and had a way to deal with Jeff Brom's offense. I think you beat Purdue. Ladies and gentlemen, you're 6-4 and four with two games left. Now, at Michigan, nah. But what the hell? You'll be 6-4, and four, bowl eligible. You go in there, you see what you can do. No pressure, right? And then finally, Northwestern. You end the season on a high note, 7-5, and five, beating Northwestern at Evanston. This schedule is doable. And the more you read these teams' capsules, if you go to Athlon or if you read the Phil Steele preview, Wyoming lost a bunch, so a game that you were kind of maybe puckering up about a little bit when you saw that on your schedule, you shouldn't. You should beat them, and if not, DEFCON won in Week 0. And I hope that's not the case. And actually, I just came up with the podcast title, If You Lose to Wyoming, DEFCON 1 in Week 0. There we go. Indiana, I, I'm not sure what to think about Tom Allen and that program. I love that you have a game before they even get a game under their belts. So you, I know it's six days later. I'm not too worried about the short rest by you know, 12 hours or whatever it may be. I think that you go in there and get that win. Virginia, same thing. Yeah, the games that I there's only three games that I'm just going to cross off: Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Michigan. And even the Michigan State game, I don't feel like that's out of the realm. Seven and five. Now you may be asking yourself, why, fanboy carp, if that's how you think of me, why would you do this to yourself again? Consider Dare to Dream. Back in 2011, Lante and I predicted that Illinois would go nine and three, and you know what? They should have. They should have went 9-3. They started 6-0. We were looking really smart about our dare to dream prediction, and then we got zooked. Not our fault. I think Juan and I were right, except for the fact that we weren't. Uh, But nonetheless, our our idea was coming from a pretty solid footing. 7-5 would be amazing, and it's doable. So why the hell not do it? Six and six, I'm still over the moon. Give me any crappy bowl game. If it's in Detroit around Christmas time when we go up to see Kara's family, I'm going. I'm going to the Little Caesars Bowl. I would love to do that. So overall, as we go into year two, you heard it here first. The first episode of the fourth season of the 200 level, seven and five in Brett Bielma's second year. That would get him at a 500 record through two seasons. There was something that would always bother me in previous Illinois regimes, Ron Turner, Ron Zook, they would always get so far behind with a ton of losses in their first couple of years. And even during a good season, they would show their overall record and it would look terrible. So I want to get to that place where we're looking at the overall record for an Illinois coach. And it's not 12 and 24, but hey, hey, in year four, they're actually getting it going a little bit. No, 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 it, it looks embarrassing. So I'm kind of glad that we started five and seven where it wouldn't take much for Brett Bielmo to acquire a winning record. In fact, if he can go 3-0, and I think they can, all of a sudden you're 8-7 and seven in your first 15 games as Illinois football head coach. That's pretty good. Dare to dream? No, I think it's realistic. And I'm excited to get this going and excited to get the 200 level going again. And that is the first episode back. So what are we going to do going forward? Well, this week might be a little bit quiet. Um, I'll certainly be back this weekend, but school is back in session. I'm excited to get back to it, but first weeks are always crazy, so I wanted to get this podcast out on Monday for for all of you. But we will have at least another couple episodes before the first game of the season. Maybe we'll try to get a special guest to come on, whether it be Trevor or Isaac, and just talk with somebody else about what they think could happen this season. But overall, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to get to Lot 31 on August 27th. Come say hi. If you see me, we're going to have an Illinois and Michigan State flag um, to represent both me and my wife's alma maters. And we'll be there every Saturday. And this season, actually, last year, we turned the tailgate into something where you never had to go in the stadium. And to be honest, I don't always love going in the stadium because it's a four-hour commitment. Essentially, it's a four-hour commitment. I'm going to be in there for the Wyoming game. I'm excited to get back in the stadium. In fact, I went for a run this morning. And you can sometimes run the one of the, the cantilevered um, walkway things, and it's great—the incline and the decline. And I decided to do that on the east side of it today, and went up to the balcony, looked down the field. New turf looks great. It's a beautiful stadium, and it's amazing the difference it makes when a first-year head coach goes five and seven, as opposed to 0-11 or three and nine things we got accustomed to because there wasn't any excitement after that. Well, there is genuine excitement now and it's not palpable. It's not like there's this crazy buzz in the air, but I think if you're an Illinois football fan and you would be if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube, yeah, you're you're excited to get back to it. And last year gave you enough to hold on to to say, I think we got guys that know what they're doing and as an Illinois football fan, that's more than I can say for most of my existence as an Illinois football fan. Hope springs eternal and let's get going. All right. A quick reminder, the 200 level brought to you by DP Dough. I'm on at dpdough.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana right to your doorstep or you can pick up at their location on Green Street. This is not just great for late-night snacks, which it is certainly great for late-night food or after a tailgate. Nothing will give you the sort of a base of carbs and cheese and tomato sauce that a calzone from DP Dough will. But, It's also great for business lunches. That's become a really big thing for them. So order in for you and your coworkers. Um, They'll get it there in time. They'll get it there quick. And they have any kind of custom calzone that you want or some of their favorites. My personal favorite, the Maui Wowie. Ham, pineapple. I know that's kind of sacrilege on pizza for some people, but for a calzone, it's delish. Dpdo.com. All right. Got to thank State Farm agent Brian Hanson online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. These guys are the best, and they're also great at giving back to the community. Good guys, and great craftsmen at RectorConstruction.com. And finally, our newest sponsor, Dogtown Heating and Air and Plumbing, out of Paxton, but they service everywhere in the Champaign-Urbana area, including Muhammad, St. Joe, you name it. They can come work on your furnace, which probably needs a check before we get into the cooler temperatures. I know Karen and I are going to line that up for our house. If you let them know the 200 level sent you, they'll give you 6% off. Why 6% off? Because they think Illinois is going to get six wins for a bowl this year. I think that is a reasonable expectation. So thank you guys at Dogtown Heating and Air and Plumbing. Cody and the fellas over there. All right. I forgot to say these guys. Alana Enquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thank you guys for being partners with us. Thank you listeners for returning and viewers who might be watching us on YouTube. We will post every new episode on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. And that way you will get notifications whenever we post one up there. The podcast will always come out first, but I should be able to get the video component up not long after that. At least, at the the most, I should say, 24 hours after any time the audio would be uploaded. So we'll try to be quick as we can. We'll get the Twitch thing going again as well. All right, in the meantime, everybody, have a great week. Uh, I'm not sure when I'll be back. Certainly this weekend. Um, This week might be tough. We do have a gig on Friday, if I can put a cheap plug in there. Decadence is going to be at the Rose Bowl in Urbana from 8 to 10 on Friday. So come check us out. We're going to put on a good rock show for you. And then this is it. Just one more weekend until we get to Illinois football. Week zero is upon us. All right, everybody. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you soon. It is the 200 level.